And those two things combined with just, you know, having lions and being lazy and just kind of partying all the time, I gained a lot of weight. I tried a few times in the three years of uni to do like, um, workout plans and diet plans and I wouldn't last more than two weeks so I used to always take pictures like okay these are my starting pictures but it really did kind of kick off for me in my final year and I always told myself I, I say to myself I wish I started earlier I wish I started earlier but you know what it's never too late without even understanding what I was doing I think I lost like two kilos in the six weeks I gave myself long enough to see a change of some sort and once you see that change that's what knocks gets it kick-started I decided okay I'm going to do a part-time PT qualification just to help improve my knowledge with eating and training with no intention to actually go into it because there's no point being healthy on the outside if you're not healthy on the inside is things are going to get thrown at you and it depends on how um strong mentally strong you are to overcome those issues without hindering your own progress or hindering what you're doing in life at the same time Uh, my guest today is a personal trainer and online coach. She has a body transformation service through Body by Akum, as you can guess by that name. I'm joined by Akum Kaur Garawal. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, thank you for joining me. Um, uh, I, I know at the moment you, you're going through a bit of a busy schedule, um, a lot of uh, expansion in the business and things, so hopefully we can touch on that a, a bit later. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um what I do like to do at the beginning of each podcast is basically just take a trip down memory lane, uh, basically talk about your your upbringing, your childhood and, and your background. So um, yeah, let's take that trip. <laughs> okay, so it's a bit of a broad one, but I guess, you know, I've within the Indi Indian community in West London. So, you know, growing up, I went to an all Sikh primary and secondary school. So growing up, I was literally surrounded within the culture, you know, all the do's and the don'ts. Um, and, you know, I think out of everyone, especially people in the area, I'm the last person they thought that would be where I am, especially being brought up in like a Sikh school and, you know, being around people, being around so many religious people, um, so many expectations. Um, so from that, actually, you know, while I was growing up, I was surrounded by a lot of Indians and it wasn't until I went to university, actually, that I started to branch out and meet loads of different people from different backgrounds. And I think that was really important for me to kind of find out who I am. Yeah. And during that time is kind of when I found fitness as well. So it all kind of worked really hand in hand. Um, that's, that's super cool. Like, sorry, uh, like up in Newcastle here, it's it's the complete opposite. Do you know what I mean? So I'm from Newcastle and there's literally hardly any, like the, the Sikh community here is it's a decent size, but it, it's not very big. So like it's but predominantly white schools that you go to so it's for me to listen to that it's like quite weird because it's a complete opposite <laughs> honestly like I was I was so religious growing up um I didn't actually realize it at the time because I was so young but when you're young you're just you easily conform into things you know so I would go to all the Vasaki festivals I'd be on stage singing and playing the vajja and everything and I was really into it but then as I grew up I kind of started finding other things I was interested in and I kind of took a step away from it without realizing and thing is within the community within the area that I live you know it's worked really well with my business because a lot of my my clients and the women I work with are Asians um, and young Indian women who have been through the same struggles that I have been through so I guess in that sense my upbringing has really allowed me to kind of expand and be where I am in terms of my business because I'm able to kind of relate to them and I think if you can't relate it's hard to help but people always love someone who can relate and is able to understand their struggles. 
Hundred percent. I've said this like many times throughout the podcast episode so far because we've had like a range of different guests. But it's there. There is that sense of like when you see somebody doing what you want to do, it becomes a lot easier. Do you know what I mean? Like, and the first person to do something is always gonna endure the harder struggles, but afterwards it's like paves the way. Do you know what I mean? We've had wrestlers, bodybuilders, musicians, everyone on this like sort of podcast so far. And um, all of them have got a blueprint to follow, but are also setting the blueprint for other people to follow, which is, it's super dope. Because uh, we've had quite a few fitness people on, and a lot of the time um, we talk about nutrition and things. And the example that I use is that, like, obviously if you are, like, uh, a really religious Sikh and you're vegetarian, then there's not really much point going to, like, a, a quote-unquote Western sort of, like, uh, bodybuilding sort of PT who offers nutrition with 99% of them have 99% ground beef or something do you know what I mean in, in yeah. the thing and it's, like, it's not going to work um, mm. but if you have somebody who sort of understands your your background and your culture then it becomes a lot easier and plus genetically as well like it, it, when you're working out obviously we have um, I, I don't know too much about how like female uh, weightlifting but as like getting in the gym as a, as a guy like I realized that certain body parts will grow really quickly and certain body parts will take a lot of effort to grow do you know what I mean literally and I think a lot of women are only now realizing that you can't spot reduce fat so a lot of girls will say I don't want to lose my bum but I want to lose my stomach and trying to explain to them that really you can't spot reduce so you just need to overall be in a weight loss be in a deficit and then you will just see naturally like for me when I started losing weight I realized that the first places that I was losing weight would be like my face and my arms yeah and that's also the first place I would gain so if I was to do a bulk or something that's the first place and I think when you can start to understand how your body responds you can work smarter and that's what I try to teach my clients is that instead of working against the body and putting extra stress on it you need to understand how your body functions to really get the most out of it yeah definitely uh similar for me like when i start losing weight it's the same same spots the torso is also the last place to go and it's it's annoying because you want it to be the first but it's always the last like when you start when you start a cut uh obviously i i'm not really competing or anything but you do like little diets here and there to lose a bit of weight and and uh, the first place you lose is your arms and as yeah. like a, as a young guy getting into the gym for the first time and the first thing you lose is your arms you're thinking oh no I want biceps you know what I mean like honestly, and they're disappearing <laughs> honestly I get some of the girls and they're like oh I'm losing my bum and I'm like listen sacrifice needs to be made you're gonna lose your bum a little bit but as soon as you're happy with your body then we can build it up and grow the bum back you know what I mean so it's got to be a little bit of give and take which I think people are still not completely knowledgeable on that yet. And I think it's something that people definitely need to start understanding. And with the coaching, that's why I try to explain to the girls all the nooks and crannies of this journey. So also, I think people get a lot of false hope from Instagram. Yeah. yeah we think yeah. it's super easy on Instagram. And it's like, we don't want it to be like that. You want it to be as raw and 100% honest as possible. And that's what I kind of try to bring to my page. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, obviously... It- I joke about it all the time. Instagram is not the best place for fitness advice, but it's also the best place for fitness advice. Do you know what I mean? Like, because you you look at these things and you just think, oh, it's unfathomable. And half of the time it's like, there's a lot of false promises on Instagram. I do do like the people who are very open and transparent, but there's more people who aren't. Um, And I'll leave it at that because I don't want to get too much into that side of things. I want to stay on your uh, fitness journey. And um, you've you've posted like before and after pictures as well. So I assume uh, are them before pictures uh, just before you started getting into the gym as a whole or what was your sort of entry into the gym? 
So I, when I was in sixth form, I had a PT in the area um, who funny enough is became like a mentor to me when I started PT, but he would kind of PT me and my family and I lost a bit of weight um, just before uni. And then when I went to uni, I completely, it just all went out the window. You know, I didn't know how to cook because homemade food was always cooked for me. I was always Indian food, so I didn't know how to cook. Um, I was obviously drinking. So, you know, the amount of alcohol you consume, it's ridiculous. Um, and those two things combined with just, you know, having lions and being lazy and just kind of partying all the time, I gained a lot of weight. And um, I tried a few times in the three years of uni to do like, um, workout plans and diet plans and I wouldn't last more than two weeks so I used to always take pictures like okay these are my starting pictures and I think in my final year is when it finally hit me and I had these photos and those are the photos that I always use for my transformation because that was the like the biggest I was at um, and that was kind of the start of my of the journey for me um, but it really did kind of kick off for me in my final year. And I always told myself, I, I say to myself, I wish I started earlier. I wish I started earlier, but you know what? It's never too late. Um, I have clients who are 30 who have just had children and I say to them, I'm like, it's, it's never too late, but you always think what if, what if, but that's kind of where it started for me. Yeah. I think most like myself included, uh, I've got way more before pictures than than after pictures you know what I mean because you're always like right I'm gonna start the diet now I'm gonna start the diet now and you you take your before pictures and then the diet never comes and then afterwards you you, you start again but I think the, the the valuable thing with that is it's like again the transparency it's like it's more relatable do you know what yeah. I mean because other people are in that position it's not this that like uh going back to the Instagram parallel it's not that perfect picture of yeah. one day just waking up and boom six months later you're shredded no there yeah. is like it's a person behind it do you know what I mean there's a person who's very relatable in 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 what you've just said mm-hmm. um you you said that you've already had like a a sort of introduction to the gym but you you obviously got serious like uh last year at uni what sort of um what sort of introduction did you have to the gym and then what changed afterwards like is in actual uh training wise and nutrition wise and things like that so what happened was I was at pure gym um and I went to the gym just to train and they had this they had this offer on and I think they still do it now but it used to be called pure loser back then I think it's called like pure lifestyle now because um but it was called pure loser and it was like this six-week program and I was just walking past the gym and I saw it on a table all laid out and it was like it was 20 pounds for six weeks and I was like obviously me being a student I was like okay that's cool that's affordable like why not let me try and it was just basically they would sit down with a group of members um, and each on like once a week, you'd sit at, sit down, talk about food, talk about exercise. They would do your weigh in and you would just kind of track food. And I didn't really know what I was doing, but I went to the meetings. I did the weigh ins and without even understanding what I was doing, I think I lost like two kilos in the six weeks. And I thought, oh, like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just <laughs> I'm just just whatever. And then it just kind of stuck because I think I gave myself long enough to see a change of some sort. And once you see that change, that's what knocks gets it kickstarted. It, yeah. It's the phase between getting started and seeing progress that a lot of people fall off. <clears throat> so it's, it's, and that's the most delicate process of the journey. You need to just wait and wait and power through. And when you see that progress, it will then become like um, addictive. Then you don't want to lose that. And that's kind of where it kickstarted. But then what happened is I didn't have any knowledge I didn't have anyone to coach me. So straight away, I was like, okay, calories. I downloaded my fitness pal and it just dropped me straight to 1200. So I was just tracking at 1200 and I was constantly hungry. Don't get me wrong. And my weight plateaued stupidly quick because I didn't, 
I don't know what I was doing in terms of how many calories I should be having, how accurately I'm tracking. And that was back in 2016. And back then, it's not like it is now, you know, there's so many options now, in terms of healthy, low calorie foods, in terms of tracking, in terms of knowledge about, you know, weight loss, weight gain. So now I feel like there's definitely more resources to help people on their journey now than when it was for me back then. Um, and what I did is soon after that, a couple months after, after that, I, um, I got my first online coach. Um, and from there, I, then I realized how important it is to have the accountability of a coach. Um, and I just kind of kept it going. <clears throat> it wasn't a consistent and linear journey. It was very up and down. But over those months, there was progress made. People started to notice it. I was noticing it in my clothes. And when I kept seeing that, it was what motivated me. And that was the longest thing I'd ever stuck to in my life. And yeah. without realizing it or expecting it, it really just became a part of my lifestyle. Um, and even, you know, I never thought I was going to be self-employed or be a PT. I'm, I'm the laziest person ever. Like when I was in school in PE, I would sit there and be gossiping when everyone's playing football. Like it wasn't, it wasn't for me, but I think that's why it's worked so well because I'm the last person everyone thought would be where I am. So in that sense, it's the most motivating thing because it's, if, if Ikum can do it, then I can do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it, it's that thing again, relatability, like it works because it's so it's such a relatable story but I, I i do like what you said about the accountability factor like um the first person that i started training with was uh one of my best mates uh adam collard who we've, ha we've had on on the um podcast before and it, he luckily for me he was sort of already into his like fitness journey so and he did do a lot of the research and uh and he already knew about calories and training methods and all this stuff so when i started getting into the gym it was more it was more just like a training partner who's basically my pt uh but we're, we're just friends so I'm, I'm absorbing all this information and i, I think it, it was lucky for me obviously uh don't get me wrong because a lot of people don't get that where they go into the gym and it is a daunting experience and they don't know what they're doing um but the amount of like learning that i did straight away was like calories uh, and macros and and how uh again my fitness power was the first thing that i downloaded as well uh, the only thing that I noticed was that um, he would be having very like easy to count food, if that makes sense, in my fitness bar. But when you put like a roti in, <laughs> it's, it's a different ball game. <laughs> it's a game changer. And the funny thing is, I've actually had clients who are willing to sit down with their mum, figure out what exactly she puts in the curry put in all the ingredients and make a recipe out of it and actually go to that length because they want to have the Indian food, but they also want to get the results. And if you got the time and effort, then it's doable. But at the yeah. same time, it comes down to the individual. And with our, you know, with our culture and our community and in the Indian food, it is very hard on the <laughs> fitness journey. It's possible, but it takes a lot of extra hard work, I think, especially if you want to keep those staple foods in your diet. Yeah, because a lot of it's made in bulk. Do you know what I mean? It's a lot of it's made in bulk and then you have to portion afterwards. So you don't know what, like how much of your portion is and things like that. Cause if you haven't say like, okay, um, any kind of dal, yeah, you'd have to like put all the recipe in as the full like patilla and then afterwards have to break it down into portions. And it, it is harder like that, but there are people who are doing it. Like uh, one of the first people I had on the podcast was Azad Singh and he's a vegan PT, but his whole, his whole like thing is he, he implements Indian cuisine into, into his, um, in his clients diets and I think it is important because obviously like uh when I was growing up as well like there is that stage that you sort of rebel I guess if you want to call it that where you sort of like go away from the culture um and then maybe later on you sort of value certain things and you try to get back into it and things so yeah. it, it is like it is a it is a weird one um 
uh, how long was it from you getting into taking it seriously like uh, at the end of uni to your competition that you did oh wow um I would say four years four years I never had the intention to compete when I started it was funny because I had a friend who was into fitness and she's the one who would set show me videos of bikini girls posing yeah I'd watch it and I'd be like oh cool cool but I never really deeped it or thought that's what I wanted it wasn't until I got deeper into my fitness journey when I had become a PT that I was like, I want to compete. But then I said to myself, and I promised myself I wasn't going to compete until I was physically and mentally ready for the challenge. Mm -hmm. I knew if I competed, that would be the biggest achievement in my life, more than my degree or anything else, because the discipline it takes is so hard and things will get thrown at you. And you have to basically, and a lot of women and a lot of people will, you know, and I see it in my clients that we will go to food for comfort when we're stressed or upset or angry. Like, and especially with women mostly as well. So it's like teaching yourself the discipline to not rely on food when you are stressed out or angry and things are gonna be thrown at you in life, no matter what you're going, like no matter what you're doing with competing or fitness or buying a house or whatever it is, things are gonna get thrown at you. And it depends on how um, strong, mentally strong you are to overcome those issues without hindering your own progress or hindering what you're doing in life at the same time. Yeah, definitely like it is. Um... It, I, I can't fathom how people compete because the amount of like the levels that you have to go to is in calorie deficit wise like the yeah I, I, I can't fathom it but I like talking to people who have accomplished it because then I get like a little insight into their brains but yeah. um, it, it is crazy so in between like obviously them four years you've decided to become a PT as well what what led to that sort of um, decision? So I finished my final year and I had this fear in my head and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be unemployed for ages when I graduate. Like I'm going to struggle to find a job. So as soon as I got my results, I was just applying, applying, applying. And I actually kept telling myself, I don't want to do sales. And then I fell into like a sales job as an account manager. Um, and I was quite settled obviously at that point. Cause for me, I, it was just to get a job and I was enjoying it. I had a coach at the time who actually probably wasn't the best coach for me at the time. Cause he was a massive bodybuilding prep coach which where I wasn't at that place at the point at that point funnily enough and I, I am now um and I had a strict meal plan in my nine to five corporate job you know I used to have to have five meals a day um and eat at different times like eat at 10 a.m eat at 4 p.m eat at lunch um and when I was at that job I was talking to a few of my colleagues and I just kept thinking I want to increase my knowledge I want to increase my college my knowledge and I decided okay I'm going to do a part-time PT qualification just to help improve my knowledge with eating and training with no intention to actually go into it. And I was doing my front and Monday to Friday, nine to five um, in Watford at the time. And then I would go and do nine to six Saturdays and Sundays at like David Lloyd's for my PT qualification. So I was literally working. Sometimes I was working 14 days back to back or like seven, eight days or 10 days. And it, it was quite a lot. Um, but I, I was glad I did it. And I did it part time because obviously, you know, I, I needed to still earn. I couldn't afford to just not work. And then things changed at my nine to five in terms of management. And I just realized how unhappy I was. Um, and I just thought I, I need to take a plunge. I need to do something. I'm just so unhappy in this job. And I was applying for other jobs. And then I went to the gym and one of the PTs at the gym was like, why don't you just apply here as a PT? And I was sitting, I remember I was sitting on the bike doing my cardio and I was like, no, I don't know. And he was like, just apply, I'll help you. Like I'll sort the job out with you. I know the manager. And then I, I just took the plunge and I, um, 
decided to quit my job and I just thought you know what let me because I had people asking me for tips and advice because at that point I'd lost a good amount of weight so I already had some form of transformation and I thought maybe I can get clients like let me try it so I thought right I'm going to give myself six months I'm going to give this everything I've got I'm not going to do some part-time stuff I'm going to go in full swing everything I've got six months time if it doesn't work I'll leave and go back to the corporate world but this is my shot so I got to give it everything I got and um that was like Jan 2018. So what, two, three, three years later, and you know, I've got about a hundred clientele. I've got an assistant. We are hiring a PT and we're trying to grow the team. So actually it was the best decision I'd ever made actually. But at the time it was literally winging it. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations to you for the growth um, and, and the success, but yeah, definitely like taking that risk is a, sometimes it's worth the reward but when it is it's it's so much sweeter do you know what I mean like because you're not doing the sort of unhappy job you're doing something that you love and you're obviously making an income from it as well which is a, it's like a double whammy and you get to help people um there's a lot of people that obviously as we were saying are uneducated and uh are on nutrition and fitness and um it's not their fault because obviously the, the, their world doesn't revolve around it they just want to be healthy and things and it's easy to fall into into the traps of uh, like this commercial industry of fast food and things it's it's a lot cheaper to be unhealthy than it is to be healthy it's yeah. a lot more convenient as well do you know what I mean so um but no that that is is really good so when you're training as well like because you're doing a weight loss journey did you um, I assume that you're training purely for physique then like not uh not trying to grow um numbers in terms of lifts and things or, or do you try to balance both so no it was just kind of aesthetic goals at the time and then during last year I did my first ever bulk and I just I needed a passion I, I spoke to my coach and I said to her listen I want to try these compound lifts I, I want to get strong I want to try something else because with lockdown and how it was affecting everyone it just I felt lost with the goals and at that point I didn't think I was we decided maybe not to compete because all the shows got cancelled so at that point I was like I need a focus um and I just started doing compounds. I started doing deadlifts, sumo deadlifts. I was practicing pull-ups every day and I was lifting numbers. And I was like, I need to lift more than my body weight. I need to lift more than my body weight. And I started doing that for a while until we started prep for show. Then things change a little because strength obviously decreases as you drop the food down. But I had a phase where I was working on strength. And I'd, I always say to my girls as well, to feel strong is completely different to feel skinny or to feel slim. Like it's all well and good to feel amazing in your body, feel confident and all of that. But to feel strong is something different. And everyone should experience that because to do a lift and let's say I weigh 50 kilos and I do like a 60, 70 kilo lift, I'm going to do that, smash out the reps. And I'm going to think, mind my language, but like fucking hell, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. that is sick. Um, and as well, the hype up of it, especially when the mute, the, the best song is on, you've got your friends around you or your training partner and you have that that lift and when you get that lift as well it's just it's a it's a sick feeling nothing can can compare to it and it's a different feeling to you know hitting your weight loss goal or having an awesome transformation in photos but it's something I always tell my girls that they need to feel because it's a feeling that every every woman should feel um and I've thought about what will happen after bodybuilding and what I want to maybe go into as well. So there are options in case later down the line, bodybuilding isn't for me anymore. And I reckon I would move away from aesthetic goals and focus on strength potentially. 
Yeah, it is. Um, there is something like good about looking at yourself in the mirror in a skinny form and just thinking, oh yeah, like yeah, I've, because it's a different type of discipline, but it's different to also to get like them big numbers as well when he lifts. Uh, funny thing that he says, I I used to when when I used to train, I, I have got like a playlist of basically just like bass drops, just so many beat drops. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and then I'd always just wait, have my headphones on in the zone. As soon as the beat drop comes boom there's my lift yeah. done and you feel absolutely amazing um everyone i think everyone has their own little playlist like a couple of songs i just get them in the mood 100 <laughs> i remember i had one pt client who asked me if i can play bhangra music in her session because she prefers that so she would come with her own playlist and i was like you do you boo if that's what you want i'm down <laughs> so i think when you've got the right music and the right setup it definitely helps in terms of your mindset for it because you need to have your head in the game when you're doing these lifts you can't be like, when i have clients for pt and they're chatting away. I literally have to say to them, listen, do your set, then tell me, because I need you focused on your breathing, on your form and the mindset that you need to push. Yeah. Uh, so you, your head has to be in the game with these things. So whatever that is that you need to do to get that, that's number one. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, it is such a mental thing, isn't it? Like, um, I was speaking to, I think it was Mr. Satman, and he was, uh, he's got a podcast as well, but he's really into fitness. And he was saying it's like a form of meditation. So every morning he's there at the gym, but before you go to do a lift, like the whole point of meditation is to clear your mind, isn't it? It's like to sit there, have nothing in your mind. And But when you think about when you're going to do a heavy squat, for example, nothing else is in your mind other than getting this bar back up. Do you know what yeah. I mean? When you take it off the rack and you're going down, nothing else. You're not thinking about the show that you're going to watch tonight or what's for dinner or oh, the, the heating's yeah. on or something. You're so thinking or your soul mindset is basically like, I need to get this back up. So... Uh, and when he said that, I was it is like a nice little parallel, isn't it? Is uh, to think about it in that in that sort of perspective. But uh, yeah, hundred percent. But also the mental game is like when you're when you're doing something like you had the goal of um, lifting more than your body weight. So I imagine the first time that you did that, the mental sort of games that you have to play in your mind to be like, oh my god, this is actually above my body weight. Like this is my goal. I need to overcome it. And it is sort of like a mental chess game of overcoming that obstacle as well. Yeah, I have. I have a client and um, she, you know, she reached a weight loss goal with me and we've been reverse dieting. So we've got her from having two, 1200 calories to now having 2000. And she looks insane. But one of her problems is that um, she's scared to increase the weights. So we're going through form. She sends send me videos of a form and I tweak it and I tell her where to improve. And then I say to her, listen, this is fine now, increase the weight. And I said to her, don't be scared to go heavy. Like it's a sick feeling. You're in the right game now. You're in the right mindset and the place to be lifting heavy and you're going to love it. So I always say to her, like, and I think there is a fear, especially if you're training alone, mm -hmm. you don't think you can do it. And I don't think a lot of people really understand what training to failure means as well. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody wants to hit failure. Like, yeah. cause it is a scary thing, especially when you're training alone on certain movements, like your squats and your benches. Cause there's been times where I've been in the gym alone and, and I'm benching and just, there it's just on my chest I'm like well, what do I do now like obviously I don't put the clips on the end so I'm just like shimmying to one side to the other I'm one of those guys well no because when, when you trade alone like it, you sort of can't but I, I I do have that um similar experience to your client is it's it's not just increasing the weight it's certain numbers for me so mm -hmm. like um when I deadlifted 100 for the first time I had that feeling of like oh it's a big number yeah. But then when I deadlifted 200 for the first time, I had the same thing, whereas mm -hmm. I, I, I just couldn't do it for weeks. I could yeah. do 195 comfortably, 
reps, rep it out because it's a it's not a big round number. Yeah. But then when I hit two hundred, for some reason in my mind, it just it took me a while. And then it obviously can't... the first time you do it, then you just you, you fly afterwards. But it's that mental sort of uh, mental sort of game. Also, yeah. like mental strength, going back to your competition in the dieting phase, uh, how, how was that like when you were getting into the, the latter stages of prep? I imagine the first couple of weeks is fine, but when you're getting deep into um, it. Yeah, like, you know, I'll be honest. My prep was hard, but I, I thought it was going to be harder. And okay. I think that's because I didn't, I didn't bring the condition I needed to. Right. I believed I should have prepped for longer. I felt that I should have started my, I did 12 weeks and that was great. Don't get me wrong. It was still my best physique to date, but, and maybe it's just my personality. I'm someone that's never content. Mm -hmm. So when I looked at my stage shots, I thought, wow, amazing. But then I looked at them and I was like, I needed to be leaner. So I felt like my prep should have been harder. Um, And I know this year's prep is going to be harder. Um, I've got a coach that is well into the bodybuilding industry. She knows what to do to put me in the right place. And in terms of general struggles with my first prep, you know, I was on low food. I had to, I think I probably went under 1200 potentially um, towards the end, which I was kind of expecting because, you know, I started about 18, 1900. So within the 12 weeks, I assumed I would get that low. And, you know, I I started getting an injury from, I was skipping every day for 20, 30 minutes as my cardio. And I got a, I pulled a calf injury to the point where like two weeks out of my show, I couldn't do my cardio properly anymore, which then affected my progress slightly. Um, And that was just me going too hard and heavy. I was also training six times a week. So I didn't have much rest, Mm -hmm. which I feel like my body was under a lot of uh, stress. Um, There were also situations in life that happened that really, really, really could have thrown me off. You know, I think one weekend, my car got broken into that's you know they'd smashed my window i was in an ncp gated car park and someone still managed to and i remember getting a call and it actually went to my home and my dad rang me like the police are here your car's been broken into and i'm like what, what the hell like how do you know like and i went to see my car and it was completely smashed there was glass everywhere luckily they didn't really take anything but they smashed like five six cars and i sat there and i was like i have to train today like I got to yeah. go to the station and I got to do all of this and I'm so hungry and I need to get my meals in and like, what the hell? Um, and I had to really mentally tell myself that like, it is what it is. Like just, it's a very hard game. Cause in a moment like that, when you're so stressed and I don't know if anyone's like this, probably someone who's had their car broken into might understand it better, but it feels like someone's like invaded your privacy when someone breaks into your car. Mm-hmm. and you feel a bit like vulnerable and I think in most cases someone would then resort to like a drink or food and just be like I need to comfort you like I need to let this stress out um, and for me all I could think was I, ju- I just need to sit down I just need to relax I just need to not do anything apart from my meals for now like I just need to get my meals in and I just need to chill out and I was like because if I don't handle this right I am 100% gonna hinder my progress and my mindset throughout the whole prep was if I mess anything up on this prep, if I skip a session, if I skip a meal, if I eat off plan, and then I don't get the goal or the result I want on show, I'm only going to blame myself. So yeah. any slip up I would make on prep, and if I didn't hit my goal, I would relate black relate back to it and think that's because of that. So in my head, I had to tell myself, everyone's going to be watching you on stage. If you don't look your best, you're going to be like, you're not going to be happy. 
So you need to go onto that stage looking the best you've ever looked because people are going to be watching. And you know what? It was live streamed. So every everyone was watching. So it was like, um, that's the kind of mindset I had to have. Like I always say to my clients, your why needs to be big enough. Like your reason as to why you're doing this. And if your why isn't big enough, you're not going to stick to it. So when I have clients who eat off plan and they don't stick to plan, I always ask them, like, why did you start this? What is your why? Is it big enough? And for me to step on stage and be, you know, in a bikini and to have all these people who have seen me grown up, who have known me for years, strangers, to see me on stage, that was a big enough why to be like, nothing is going to hinder my prep. And that meant any issues I had, any problems that had to all be put to the side because nothing was as important as prep. That meant like family issues, friend issues, relationship issues, work stress, everything had to go on the back burner because if, if it was causing me stress and pushing me away from prep, then I had to push it to the side. And I don't, I don't think it's always the healthiest thing, but I think for bodybuilding and prep to have that mindset is really, really important. And I think if someone can learn to have that mindset when needed, I think that's a great trait to have, to build that discipline when, not all the time, obviously, but when needed. I think that's a great trait to have for character development as well, to have that mental discipline, to know what's important and when it needs to be number one priority and then doing what it takes for it. And that goes into all aspects of life, whether that's going for your career goal, whether that's going for promotion, whether that's trying to hit an all new like record on your running or jogging or whatever it is. If you have that mindset, it will get you very far, but then building that mindset takes time. Yeah, 100%. I think like if you can sort of build that like switch in your head where you can just flick it on and off whenever you need to then yeah. it's such a valuable asset like in any circumstance like you've just said because it's sometimes where like the going will get tough uh, and that is obviously a tough situation that you had it's not not the most ideal um but when it does go go tough then if you can just flick that switch on because everybody's gonna have their own problems and it's all it's all like uh, it's all relative do you know what I mean someone might have what you perceive to be a, a lesser problem but to them it could be the biggest in the world and and things like that but if regardless of what happens if you can flick this switch on and off um, it, you can just power through it most of the time the, the thing that I want to say there as well is that um, me, me and uh, Harry Cleason obviously we were talking before was that we were um, on that podcast speaking about how stress is like key like stress reduction and not being stressed out is also really important for um weight loss as well so i imagine yeah exactly like that period of uh, of times probably obviously in deep into a cut isn't the most ideal situation because i think obviously with um uh, and i'm not an expert on this but i think on, on women's bodies it, it affects you differently as well don't you like it, it, it stress can sort of retain a lot more um yeah go on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, 100%. And the women's w hormones are so important to get right and keeping an optimal level. Um, you know, a lot of girls tend to lose their periods during prep because your diet yeah. is so low. And I've had girls of mine, not on prep, just lifestyle clients, who have lost periods and then we have regained it through regulating their fat levels, their fat intake, and getting them to a point where relationship with food is good enough that they're getting periods. I've actually managed to even for a few of my PCOS clients, we've even managed to somewhat reverse their PCOS because they're getting monthly periods for a whole year. They're getting the full kind of the cravings and the symptoms of your time of month and everything. And I think, and I always say to a lot of my clients, <clears throat> you need to find ways to de-stress. And one question I ask everyone on their weekly check-ins is how are you dealing with your stress management? Yeah. Finding what works for you. And there's loads of different ways, don't get me wrong, but 
I think reflection is key. And I think you need to ask yourself, how are you dealing with your stress? And if you're not asking yourself that, you're not tackling the problem. Yeah, it is really important in uh, in fitness and health in, in general. You don't realise how much a part of players that even to like sleeping things if you stress you're not going to have a good amount of sleep at night and then that's going to hamper your recovery and it's like a, it's a knock-on effect um i'm not the most educated on the the, the topic that obviously we've just spoke about yeah but i am actually quite interested because you you mentioned it there like obviously the loss of like a period during your uh, and like the effects that it has on your menstrual cycle when you're cutting because of the um uh, and the weight loss and the restricted calories um what, why does that happen? Like, what is the sort of ins and outs of that uh, to the best of your, your knowledge? So I think as well, when, when, when girls are prepping and the food gets low, um, you know, you're eating less, there's less fat intake and for women's hormones you need to have a good level of fat and like insulin in the body. And I think what, hap- what happens is, and if, if it's not done by the correct coach in the right way, it's very easy to lose your period because you're dieting massively. There's massive amount of stress on the body. When you're physically stressed, it's very normal for women to tend to have delayed periods when they're under stress anyway. So to be under stress, not just mentally, but physically on the body, taking a toll because the less food you're having, the more output you're putting an hour cardio in the morning and then your weight session four or five times a week or six weeks, I mean, six times a week in my case, it just causes the body to be under so much stress that things stop working as they normally do. You know, the hormone levels aren't regulated. Um, and with that as well, that's how it's very easy to hold water and then have fluctuations. And someone who isn't maybe knowledge might look at the scale and think, oh, you've gained. So let me drop the food again. But really, you need to have the right knowledge to think, OK, why have you gained? You've been 100 percent on plan. Maybe we need to give you three days of rest. And maybe right. that will help. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. I On my peak week, I had to skip a day of training because I was so defeated. I just, I couldn't do it. Um, and I actually found that after a day off, I actually dropped more weight. Right, okay. So it's actually giving the body the rest that it needed that actually helped me drop the weight. Instead of just training and powering through it, sometimes you need to think, how is my body responding? And I think if you don't get the right coach for competing, they won't think about your health. And I think having your hormones in an optimal position is very, very key. So for me, luckily, I didn't really lose my period during my prep. Um, but something that I did de- do after my after my show was increase my fats massively, take a really good omega-3 supplement and slowly but surely ensure that my hormones are regulating. And the thing is, from my own trial and error and what I'm doing, I'm able to relay this information through to my clients um, through research, obviously, that I'll do of myself, but also trialing things on myself. And I think it's only fair that I always trial something on myself before I push it on to any of my clients. Yeah, so 100%. dieting massively um, and seeing the implications on the body, I've done it myself. I see how it works. I've seen clients not get periods because they suffer with PCOS. So I've had to find ways to regulate their hormones and their insulin levels to regain their periods. I've also seen clients lose periods just from being on 1200 or under. You know, some people tend to skip meals you know you get I get clients that are like skipped a meal but if they're on 12 1300 and they're skipping meals they're automatically going under the limit that you should never go under right mm-hmm. so without realizing then they lose their periods and then what we have to do is just get to a point where we can slowly increase food get the fats up but really what it is is if you're losing your period you need to have a good amount of fats in your diet to get the hormones up and running have enough insulin in the body and things like that i'm still learning a lot about this myself but from my own journey and seeing how my clients have adapted and worked around it that's what i've kind of taken away from it yeah like it is uh, it is interesting because i heard like um uh, like I, I i'm interested in bodybuilding and things and then obviously when you see that female bodybuilders 
it's on it's not uncommon to hear yeah. these type of things so it was always something that I, uh, I wondered about but because it, it is a weird thing that like it's linked to fat especially because that's what most people cut out straight away mm-hmm. do you know what I mean so it's actually like the opposite that you need do you know what I mean you need a bit more fat whereas most people just like cut out the fat straight away when they're when they're trying to lose weight exactly and the thing is if you think about carbs fats and protein per the gram um you know carbs and protein are about four calories per gram yeah it's like nine for fat it's most yeah exactly but if you get the right healthy fats in you know it's quite good so you know your dark chocolate your avocado your oils your nuts and that's why i try to increase massively within the girls and that's what i had like i was having loads of kind of dark chocolate after my show to get my but then to get my hormones up and running and then when they were at a good level then you can bring the fats down a little bit and just keep everything at a good balance level and for us with our hormones it's probably more important for women than it is for men to have those healthy fats into the diet especially when you're dieting that much you're probably better off having a good level of fats than overpowering with carbs i kind of go by the ratio of like 40 40 20 20 being fats mm-hmm. uh, for a standard person but depending on periods time of month and things like this then we play around and we give you more fats less carbs but protein's always at a substantial point right i get you is there any danger of playing around with it as in like if you're constantly losing and regaining because you're in like in a cycle of cutting and bulking etc is there any dangers of like uh, any long-lasting effects or is it is it very much something that you can control and get back in terms of your period yeah yeah so if you do it correctly and you do it right, you may not, ha- you don't have to lose your period during prep. Right, okay. The point is to get your food as high as possible in your off season. So for example, my first bulk last year, my food was about 18, 1900 roughly. So when it came to doing my prep, I started on that. But by the time I finished the 12 weeks, the, the amount of calories that were dropped, it took me to 1200. Now the off season that I've done after my show, my calories were easily up to 2.5 thousand. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, that was quite high. I've never eaten that much in my life, but that means that I could drop down to 2000 or 1800 and still see a loss compared to my first time cutting. So, and what people don't realize, and this is more bodybuilding than like everyday lifestyle clients, but we want to get food as high as possible so that when you diet again, you're dieting on more food. Yeah. So what happens if I get my calories up to two and a half K in my off season that when I start my cut or my prep, I only have to go down to 14, 1500. That's still a healthier man where you don't need to lose your period. Now it depends person to person, but that is the aim of the game. So for a lot of my clients, um, so like for my example, my client who was on 1200, we did that for six months. She lost a really good amount of body fat. She was looking good. I said to her, the next level up now is we have to increase your calories. So we did a reverse diet slowly but steady you're increasing calories week on week while ensuring that as minimal fat is put on as possible so it's like if you if guys do a dirty bulk they put on a shit ton of a shit ton of fat yeah yeah you want to avoid this by being very regimented with your routine so we got her calories to 18 19 then we did a mini cut for her birthday and she was able to finish her prep on 1400 calories instead of 12 um and she actually looked even better than her first time when she lost weight. Now we've slowly brought calories all the way up. Now she's on 2000, which means that hopefully when we diet again for the summer, she can be having way more food, but still looking better. Yeah. Is that not because of um, uh, uh, like extra muscle mass though? So your metabolic rate's going to be higher. So like regardless, like, so even if you do get lower, is it not like the the, the body will still react the same because it's still like, how do I, how do I put this? It's it requires more food to operate normally. 
Potentially, yeah. So you know they say you can't really change the metabolism. Mm-hmm. Well, like, you can't. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So you know you hear it and people are like, oh, well, if you've got this kind of metabolism, you can only, it's like how people have like body types, you know, if you're this body type, then you can't change and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think there are ways around things nowadays. And if you, tr- if you get the right knowledge and you train smart and you eat right, there's ways to change and adapt to these things. So I think, and this is how I like to work with it is the girls who are reverse dieting, what I try to do is get them to get food as high as possible and then slowly, slowly decrease output. So for someone who may be doing 15,000 steps a day naturally, I might say to them, all right, drop down to 12 and don't do more than 12. Because what will happen is not just like the food, but the less active they are, when it comes to having to cut, we can maybe keep food the same, but increase output. To, so there's different ways around it, which is nicer as well, because like me personally, I'd love to have as much food as possible. So if I could, for example, get to two and a half K calories and be doing less than 8,000 steps a day, I can just increase my steps to 14,000, have no cardio and potentially still still see a drop on the same amount of calories. Just because you've got the body sitting in such an optimal place to start prep. And that's the goal of the whole thing is that you want to put the body in a very good, healthy place that you know, you're not damaging anything. You're not, you're not causing issues with the hormones and that when you are cutting and you are dropping fat, you are looking better, you are feeling better, you have more energy and overall the body is the body composition is better. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. The, the only thing that I was thinking is like the, the risks of like playing around with it too, too much for like long term. But for, from what we're going to talk about now, which is uh, so again, something that I have very little knowledge of is a uh, PCOS. Um, that is the right acronym, I think. I had a little <laughs> Google around. I seen it on your story a few days ago. Um, maybe even yesterday, I think it might have been. And um, got got into Googling. And and it's like, so what I found online is that they prescribe medication for this, but you've seemed to uh, got some of your clients to have their periods again, with, just with like diet and, and messing around with like health and fitness. Yeah, so PCOS is polycystic ovary syndrome, which is very common in Indian, South Asians, etc. It's very common within the Indian community. Now, it is something I'm a little bit passionate about because I feel like it is something that isn't discussed about enough. Um, and I feel like, and I don't mean to cause any offense, but I just feel like when you go to the NHS and you speak to your GP, they just do a piss up job about it, really. The first thing, if you are a person and you go to the GP and, you know, I think I have PCOS, okay, here's a contraception that's not a fixed method. That is not a fixed method. Um, And I feel like unless you go private, you're not gonna get the care and consideration where the doctors are gonna help you understand exactly how to tackle this issue. What what is it, sorry, what what actually is the like, uh, quote unquote issue? problem i don't know how to i don't know the terminology to use here so forgive me <laughs> there's all types of pcos but the main one is insulin resistance so this comes back to your hormones okay. so what it is is the body is not producing enough insulin so you tend to have so and different pc uh, different pcos's will have different kind of issues different side effects but the main one that i've seen with a lot of my my clients is an insulin resistance one which comes down to the fact that there's not enough insulin in the body which comes back down to hormones regulating hormones now Having a regular period month on month kind of gives you an idea that your hormones are in check, your body's regulating, it's it's acting how it should be, everything is nice and healthy. So with women who have, you know, insulin resistance PCOS, I think what it is, is they tend to miss periods, they might have one period and then not have one for six months. Um, they also might struggle to potentially lose weight. And there are also other side effects such as a lot of hair, a lot of hair growth, um, acne and other types of things. Now, there's not a lot of research done around PCOS and a lot of GPs won't go into detail to help you understand 
what type you have. So most times what they will do is just put you on contraception, whatever pill that is, um, or might give you something like metformin, which is like, um, again, a type of prescribed medication that you can take. But what I found through research and through a few of my clients is there are ways to reverse, from what I know personally, the insulin resistance PCOS. There are ways to reverse this. And how that you know that you are reversing it is by getting a regular period, getting the full-on side effects of your time of month. So cramps, bloating, cravings, everything. So if you get signs that you're getting a proper period, that's a really good sign for anyone who has PCOS. And when I have clients join me and they say to me, you know, I haven't dropped weight this week, but you know, I'm getting these cramps. I always say to a lot of my girls is I don't care about your weight. Um, my main concern is your hormones and that your body is optimal because there's no point being healthy on the outside if you're not healthy on the inside. So for a lot of my PCOS clients, I get them on certain supplementation, one of it being something like omega-3s or Nordic oil, which are your healthy fats um, and other things such as inositol, which are actually not even prescribed. You can get inositol on Amazon, but it's just a um, supplement that increases insulin in the body. Right. Um, so by even taking natural supplements, that can really help. Because what you have to do is regulate the insulin levels. Again, which is why I don't understand why GPs will then push everyone onto the pill. That's what, when you said that as well, when you when you first said that, that seems the complete opposite response that you should take, right? Because surely the person wants to get their period back. So and a contraception, to my understanding, is the complete opposite. <laughs> I found that one of my clients who's managed to reverse her PCOS, she's been with me for God knows how many, like nearly a year and a half two years and since about a year now she's managed to get a period every single month she's lost nearly four stone um and she's looking amazing and she actually jumped off the pill and was able to do this so i've got a few clients and you know they're on the contraception and i understand i'm not a doctor i'm not a gp so obviously i understand if no one wants to take this advice in the sense of you know you'd rather and i always say to a lot of the girls check with your gp confirm it with them make sure they're happy with what you're doing but i just know from experience that this could work. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what it is, is the clients who have come off the contraception or aren't taking it and then are doing other things like having the omega threes or having the not at all, they are the ones who are seeing the difference. They are the ones who are able to see their PCOS reverse. I've got one online client, nine months straight, she's had a period now, every day, every month. And, and, the, and then for a long time she hadn't. And she's also nearly, she's lost 20 kilos. So funnily enough, it really goes hand in hand, the weight loss with the supplementation and understanding your body. There's no point dieting and training so hard if you don't understand what your body needs in the inside. I've had clients where I've said to them, listen, go to your GP, ask for an ultrasound, ask for this, ask for that. Let's do these tests to find out what you have or what type of PCOS. Because like I said, someone might not have insulin. They might have another type. And I had one client who went to the GP and she was like, no, we can't do ultrasounds. Like, why do you want one? And she was like, because I want to know what type of PCOS I have. And then they were like, she had to basically lie and say that she is looking to get pregnant. That's why she needs the ultrasound. Like she had to lie to the GP just to get an ultrasound because they weren't willing to do it unless she was trying to get pregnant. Is, is, is it because like they don't understand because it's not a common thing in the UK maybe or like in Western countries? It is something that isn't discussed about enough or even this, I think there was a uh, petition on you know, the Gov website about increasing research and funding for PCOS and other kind of health issues that women go through. And I think it isn't something that is talked about enough, but I think recently it's starting to build up now, which is great. And without even trying to, I've actually accumulated a lot of clientele who are PC who do have PCOS. 
I've got one girl who we believe isn't insulin resistant PCOS, but we can't find out which type she has because she her doctors like they're not willing to do the tests. Well, so then what we did with her, I started playing with her food groups. So we okay. said, okay, let's let's try gluten and dairy intolerant. Let's try take the gluten and the dairy out of your meals and let's see how your weight is. And I think that we found that works for her because now her body is slowly dropping the weight. She's not bloated as much anymore. So really what it is, is you need to just find what works for your body. And it's a lot of trial and error method. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would say is that for anyone who's going through PCOS and isn't really sure, you need to either go private, which I understand is expensive, but I think is a right move if you really want to change your life. Um, I feel like with private, they just, they care more and they put the effort in. However, if you are going through the NHS, you need to push. You need to push, push, push and force them to do the tests. You know, you could do like even glucose intolerance tests and all these kinds of things, which again, the GP was refusing to give my client and she had to really, really push on it. Um, I know there are home test kits that people can do, but I can't think of it at the top of my head. Um, So in terms of like the PCOS, there are, there is more knowledge coming out now but it is something that still isn't talked about enough and discussed enough. And I think a lot of people still don't have a lot of knowledge on it. Yeah. It seems like it's basically, uh, and forgive me if I'm trying to oversimplify this, but it seems like uh, the time of the month, the menstrual cycle is a very good indicator of how your body is working. So mm-hmm. if there's something wrong, then you need to find out what that thing is wrong and then what the thing that is wrong is. I uh, can't even speak English now. <laughs> uh, so much information overload. No, no, it's really, it's really fascinating because again, like obviously as a, as a, as a young lad in the UK or whatever, and, and all of them things, like you don't really hear about these type of topics and, uh, and it is important because one day I might be uh, uh, the father of a girl. Do you know what I mean? And if she's going through anything like this, uh, you need to know uh, everything about it. I think it is a tub, uh, quote unquote taboo topic uh, still in, in South Asian communities, but it, it really sh- shouldn't be because it's, it's a natural thing. And if it's, it, it's your health at the end of the day, like, as I just said, it's a good indicator if everything is working and healthy living sort of thing. So, um, and, and obviously because we're talking about fitness, it's a good, uh, it's a good sort of, indicated that if everything's working right that you should be having your menstrual cycle and then that will help you to to have your fitness goals whether that's bulking cutting or or, or whatever but um no you, you've you've really educated me like uh, <laughs> uh, honestly I didn't even know what it was like, a few days ago and then I seen it on like your Instagram I was like I better do a bit of research on this because if it comes <laughs> up I don't want to be stuck in the mud <laughs> honestly you know what I'm still learning so much about it and I won't sit and be like oh I'm a pro because you know someone can come in and be like actually no this is this and this is that and I'm always open to learning more and improving but I think that without realizing I've learned a lot about PCOS just through the clients that come to me. And for me, like I put a lot of care in and I always say to everyone, as, like, it's so important we get your period. That is more important than losing a pound a week or losing a kilo. Like you wanna make sure you're healthy and happy on the inside. There's no point in looking great if you're not feeling it. Um, and I think that's something that isn't discussed about enough. And I think that's something that a lot of male coaches don't go into detail about. And I think for a lot of women, it's hard for them to open up to a male coach and discuss time a month, discuss periods and all these kinds of things. And I think that's why it's great to have a female coach because you can get down to the nooks and crannies of these little issues that maybe a lot of women aren't even comfortable to talk about. 
Yeah, I was going to ask as well that that topic there because uh, when we were talking about relatability at like the beginning of the podcast of like having a South Asian PT because they can relate to your sort of cultural needs, um, it, it probably will be a lot more beneficial to have a female personal trainer if you're a female as well because it's it's a bit more relatability. Um, it's I always I, I I'm always hesitant to say that because then you do sometimes get a bit of backlash and people saying, oh no, like men can train women and women can train men. I'm not saying that you can't. Mm. I'm just saying that there's that like extra level of uh, relatability. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. And I think, don't get me wrong. Now me being in the bodybuilding industry, I've seen some amazing male coaches who do care about the, the women, the women clients and their hormones and everything. But that has to be a very well-established coach. Um, and there's not a lot of them out there, but there are definitely a few. And I, I know that for a fact. So the male coaches aren't bad. I, I like to work with women and I like to work with women coaches who coach me. And I like, you know, I, I get it. It's just easier to relate and it does make it more comfortable for the girls because the topics like this aren't discussed enough. And it's something that's so important in your day-to-day -day life and it can hinder your progress a lot without realizing it. So that's why it's so important to understand all these factors like we discussed earlier, your sleep, your time of month, your stress management, they all play hand in hand together. And I work with women clients, but I actually also have a male client. So okay, yeah. it's really interesting because obviously the, the question I have in my check-ins about when is your next period, obviously I can't <laughs> answer that. So it's like, I don't have that question for him, but it's really fascinating because I work differently with him than I do with my, any of my women clients. Oh, really? How so? Because like his body responds differently. Mm -hmm. So he he's quite he's very disciplined which is awesome because it's nice to have a client that just sticks to plan 100% and because he's so disciplined he can have refeeds where he gets one day of 20-30% extra calories and he ends up dropping weight the next day yeah. and that's easy to get especially with women who have their hormones in place and with things going on it's really hard to get that but with him we do a weigh-in let's say on a Friday morning his refeeds the whole day of Friday he gets like 30% extra calories and then he weighs in Saturday morning and he's dropped weight even though he's had more food because yeah. he's responding really well to the food. Um, and it's nice to see someone be able to eat more and actually still reach their goals and drop. So it's actually really interesting because the approach I would take with him is different to the approach that I take with any of my female clients because we're, we're very tender. We've got loads of different <laughs> things that we have to focus on that doesn't make it as easy to just have refeeds, you know, or, or do things like this. And as well, the discipline of a lot of women, a lot of women do, comfort eat and do things like that so before we can even try to give you more food we need to tackle any food disorders and things like that as well eating disorders yeah yeah I think it's that that difference between like sympathy and empathy do you know what I mean it's like one's like I, I know what you're going through whereas the other ones is like yeah I can, I can sort of comprehend what you're going through like yeah. there's there is a slight difference um it's interesting to hear you say about the refeed thing because I, I didn't know that was uh, different for women to be fair because the research I was doing uh when I started doing calculated refeeds like a couple of years ago when I was trying to get like into good shape was was all like um I assumed that the research that I did was then just catered for men which I didn't realize at the time it could, you know, I reckon we, when give, when done properly, refeeds can work well for women. But I think it also plays into account that what is it, the time of month, what's right. going on with their body, you know, are, have they got PCOS and other things? And I think because for men, it's just easier to understand. Now, I'm not massively educated on training men, but I have got male clients. I've PT'd male clients and I've also got one working with me online. And I think you can't give the same rule of thumb for men and women. Mm -hmm. And I think with women, you have so many more aspects you need to bear in mind. I have done refeeds with a few of my women clients, my female clients, and they have, you know, dropped the next day and stuff like that. But it's a bit more of a, you have to keep it very structured and set in a certain way 
just to make sure you get the most from it so for them it's like I have to really say this is how you need to do it you've got to stick to it to a T and do it like that so it's interesting to see I reckon it can work for both men and women but I think for women as well we just have to overcome a few other issues make sure everything is in a good healthy place before you start giving refeeds very easily um, and what I find is as well something that maybe isn't talked about enough is you know eating disorders and how women approach food and I don't think it makes sense to give a woman a refeed if she's not in a healthy relationship or good place with food. Right, yeah. Then a refeed yeah. turns into a binge. And so before even that, there's also the idea of tackling any eating disorders and getting your relationship with food in a good place. So that's also something you have to bear in mind, which I feel like a lot of women do struggle with. Yeah, definitely. Well, it goes back to the Instagram thing that I was saying at the beginning, dude. I mean, like there's that many photos now online that of the perfect body, uh, because everyone who has a perfect body does show it on Instagram, but all the people who don't tend not to. Do you know what I mean? So all you see on Instagram is them perfect bodies and you can create like an unhealthy relationship with, well, the mirror first and foremost, because you're looking in there and you're not happy. And then that creates so many more problems uh, down the line. A, a, a question that I want to ask the difference between your male and female clients in terms of not nutrition, but actually um, like training what what sort of differences come in there because i imagine like i don't know if this is a myth or not because again not very educated on <laughs> on women's lifting but um is, is it true that like women can train like lower body a lot more frequently than than men or is that just one of them myths that uh, is just around on the internet um it's not something i've actually heard of before and at the moment it kind of depends i've got a few clients who are on training splits but with the current lockdown i've got people on like full body workouts just yeah. because of the equipment they have you know if someone's got a resistance band and we do a whole workout based on that that's more easy to do a full body hit than doing upper leg upper and legs all that so when gyms i'm actually looking forward to having my male client go to the gym because he's worked with me through lockdown right so i have yet and i said to him you know what we can do is really push hard to drop as much body fat as we can so that when we're in an optimal place we can increase food get you in the gym and get you lifting heavy so we can really push on the side of muscle um for women though you know what? I don't know. I actually don't know if I think women can train more than let men. I think it comes down to recovery, you know. It comes to recovery and what you're doing. If, if you're someone that is stretching frequently, if you've, if you've got tight muscles and you're trying to do legs two days later, you're not going to perform as well, especially if you haven't bothered to go for deep, you know, sports massages, you know, take the right supplementation to help muscle recovery. I'm someone that is can be blamed massively for not stretching. I'm quite bad. But one thing I've really focused on this year is having a good stretch routine in place. 15 minutes full body every morning is part of my morning routine now. Um, and I've seen such a massive difference in my flexibility and my mobility and my recovery. So mm -hmm. I think more than women can do um, lower body more than men, I think it comes down to their structure and their recovery as well. Food will also play a count into recovery too. So it kind of, there's, I think there's a lot of aspects taken into consideration if you were to compare the two. Yeah, yeah. It might have just been one of them things online, like a myth, or maybe because like all you see when, when women do post on Instagram, the workouts that they do post tend to be leg days and things like to to grow the, the peach emoji. Um, <laughs> but uh, it might just be one of them things that are of, like a myth that I've seen online. Um, mentioned there, lockdown. How's, how's lockdown and training been for, for yourself? I know you're prepping, so I, I imagine prepping during the lockdown is probably not the most ideal situation. You know what? It's the best situation. Really? because you don't have temptation uh okay yes yeah, you know yeah. I, mean? I can obviously i'm very 
blessed and very grateful for the studio I have in my in my back garden. Um, I, it just came out really good timing. You know, when we built it, we didn't know COVID was coming. It just came out a really awesome time. So in terms of training, I've got a good amount of kit to keep pushing. Um, and because nothing's open, one, I'm not getting any FOMO. Yeah, because, because like no one's going out and two because no one's going out and no one's drinking and nothing's open it's very easy to just stick to your plan stay home and eat clean and I actually said to a lot of my girls I'm like this is the perfect time for you guys to smash your results because if you kill the next couple of weeks and then restaurants open up then we can be flexible then we can have off-plan meals and you can enjoy the harder you work now the quicker the results can come the more flexibility you can have because the thing with a lot of people is they can't say no to temptation yeah, yeah you're yeah. out and everyone's having shots and they're having wine and you're sitting there with your meal prep you you might give in <laughs> but yeah. you know it's, it's actually i think it's a great time to do prep and i actually have to say if, if it wasn't for covid i don't think i would have prepped last year i would have competed last year oh really yeah so how is how is that so your competition's gonna happen at the end of uh, mid to end of this year right yes so like uh september october november ish right okay well um, obviously like recently we've just had the announcement that everything's supposed to open 21st yeah. of June or whatever so hopefully everything touch wood goes in place in that sense um, and and obviously you, you spoke before about you've bulked up now so you think you're gonna come in like a lot leaner and uh, in a better physique condition? 100% that is a plan I me and my coach both agreed that we were the condition was not lean enough for my first show we pushed calories super high I'm currently doing a mini cut so I'm doing a mini cut for another six weeks. And then after the mini cut, we're going to push food up high again. Maybe have a few off-plan meals here and there. <clears throat> and then I don't know when we'll start prep, but I reckon it'll be instead of 12 weeks, it might be 16 or 20 weeks. Right. Prep. But the, the aim of this is to get very lean as if I'm like six to 10 weeks out for my show, then push up food high and then start prep. So somehow I'm on more food. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? So it gives yeah. the body a mini break, but condition is all, it's like you're, over preparing so sort of like a refeed but like extended yes it'll be between eight to ten weeks where food will be higher so i'll put in a few foods that i've missed i have a little bit of flexibility but condition will still be in a good place that when i start prep i won't be holding as much body fat so i should it's it's, it's like doing a pre-prep <laughs> yeah 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 i mean and actually it's very smart and i haven't done that before but i think it's great in terms of us making sure i come stupidly lean this year and like i I'm happy with how my first show went, but like I know what I need to look like this show. And because of that, I know the prep's going to be 10 times harder. And now everything's open as well. They better give me a couple <laughs> in between that I can eat out because I think they're saying it opens up like May or something, restaurants and stuff. Yeah, I think like um, non-essential businesses and men are open on 12th of April, maybe. I mean, yeah. I need to go to the barber, honestly. The, the <laughs> headphones are covering my hair, yeah? But this is a wild situation right now. It's <laughs> But I think, yeah, if I can get a couple of weeks where restaurants are open, I can enjoy a little bit. It will make it easy. But I reckon most of this year I will be dieting and prepping. Um, but it's worth it if I can come away from that show and have a really good placing. Um, so we have like a, a plan of action in place for the shows to see what we can get out of it. So I just need to I need to push really hard on it. Yeah. Are you going to be competing in bikini again? So I compete in wellness. So wellness, wellness similar to bikini, but it's basically bigger legs. Right. That's the easiest way to put it down. So I my legs are too big to ever compare in um to compete in bikini, I think. But I am competing in natural shows, which means no steroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that I is a that is a lot like interesting with the, the steroid situation as well. Uh 
I'm not going to go into the topic because I'm too passionate <laughs> on it. I'm way too passionate on it. Dude, yeah. I did my thesis at uni on steroids and things. Oh, and wow. like, I'm, I'm proper, uh, I get to, when steroids come up in a conversation, I just start going a bit too much. So I'll not talk about it. But um, so what 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 are the different categories? So you've got, you've got bikini, which is uh, it's similar to like sort of a men's physique, I imagine, like the board shorts. <laughs> no, but like uh, in my mind, yeah, because it's like beach body. In, in yeah, my mind, so, yeah, so good. Yeah, so, so bikini would be like, it, it's not an easy physique to get because you have to make sure that there's a category for each, uh, you know, there's, there's a criteria, sorry, for each category. Um, and it's like you really, so it, it might say that uh, for wellness, your legs are fairly developed more than your upper body, but upper body is still somewhat developed. So I felt in my last show, yeah, my legs were there, but my upper body had no muscle to it. Like right. my shoulders were just bony. So you have to really make sure you train to fit into that criteria. So you have your bikini, you've got wellness, which is similar to bikini, but bigger legs, to put it into simple terms. You also have certain uh, categories like figure, um, and then you have your men's categories as well. Um, but because there's so many federations in bodybuilding, it can go into massive, massive um, categories. You know, there was bikini wellness and fitness wellness in my last show, which there isn't a massive difference between the two. So. I'm changing federations this time around. I'm going with the federation that can possible that leads you up to Olympia. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. I'm going down that kind of route. Um, would love to, to get my pro card or something like that. And I feel like naturals is the best shot for me um, to see if I can get a pro card and compete. And that's why I feel like the natural show will be the best one um, in terms of, you know, being with other women on stage. So, but when you get your pro card, surely that's when like the natural goes up the window, no? Because everyone, everyone when they're pro is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think once you get to that point, if you are looking to go to Olympia, then it has to change. You have to go with the flow of it. And if that's what everyone's doing, you know what it takes. Because I think naturally you can only grow so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have no judgments about it, but I feel like I owe it to myself to give myself a fair shot. Um, so even if I came away and I got my pro card, that would be good enough for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying that that's cool. And that's why I always think after bodybuilding, what is the next step? Because, you know, I'm never going to be content. So maybe after my pro card, it's about thinking what the next step is going to be. But for right now, I want to get that pro card and get that sword. Everyone gets a sword when they're like an IFBB pro. So... <laughs> And it's and it's a nice little thing to put in your Insta bio as well. I am BB Pro. When you yeah, see that, you know it's legit. You know it's legit when you see that in the Insta bio. That's, that's literally what the goal is, man, is to have that. And it's hard to get that status, don't get me wrong. So that's why I know it's going to be much harder. But that is the goal is to get that IFBB status, man, and become IFBB Pro. That would just be, be insane. It's hard, man. Even with like, even with steroids, like it's super duper. People don't realize like when you take steroids, you're working like 10 times harder than the average person in the gym. But, uh, ha- me and Harry Cleese have just done this podcast and, and we talk about steroids and that a lot. Again, it's one of them topics where it's it's sort of taboo. Not pe- many people talk about it and it leads to a lot of um, uneducated people and, and misuse. Do you know yeah. what I mean? He was telling me um, about the, the amount of deaths that happen in India because of the amount of people uh, who who take like the first time they go into the gym and their personal trainer will give them Dianabol. Um, and it's and it leads to like heart failures, but nobody actually questions the heart failures coming from steroid use. So again, I get too passionate about this topic. So, so, so we'll, we'll cut it short there. Um, yeah, so so mo- moving on to a bit of social media. Uh, I know obviously you've got Body by Akim, you've got your, your own uh, page as well, um, which has got like 
11,000 followers, I think. Yeah, I did check before we started, but <laughs> my memory's so bad. Um, a question that I've asked a, 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 quite a few people, uh, Aram uh, as well, um, anyone who has basically a sort of income tied to their social media is, do you feel any pressure that like your your physical sort of uh, look is very much tied to your business? So do you feel any pressure to stay a certain shape? Because essentially like you're, you're a fitness uh, influencer, I guess is the, is, is the right terminology. I think... I think 100% yes. I think people will always end up choosing a trainer who they think is goals. So, you know, they'll be like, oh my God, my PT is goals or I want to look like you. And while that's not necessarily the 100% healthiest way to go about it, we can't help the fact that it's a natural instinct to think that and want to say that and do that. So I think aesthetics plays a massive role. At the same time, I think it's really important to be transparent. And, you know, I am very blessed that a lot of my business from the start has come from social media. When I used to work at Pure Gym, a lot of my clients came from social media and would get gym memberships to PT with me. And then when I left Pure Gym, they would leave with me. So I was very blessed. Yeah. So my my clientele really comes from social media. Not, I don't do massive amounts of advertising and obviously most of it's word of mouth as well, but social media is a massive role in my business. So there is this constant stress in my head about keeping things up but not in terms of appearance all the time I think in terms of gaining followers and attracting because you want to keep growing the business and I think with the algorithms and everything it's quite stressful but I try to be super transparent with my Instagram so when I bulked I was really really clear about it I did an IGTV on my first time bulking um I compared my bulk photos to my prep photos to show people that it's okay to gain weight you can lose it again and I think showing that, showcasing that and then taking that away to my clients who are reverse dieting was brilliant because they were able to, I could understand where they were coming from. And they could also understand that you, they need to trust me with that process to eat more and not be scared of it. Um, I do think you definitely get more attraction when you're leaner. So it's like when I was cutting and I was on prep and I was doing my check-ins, the amount of messages I would get, like, you look amazing. You look great. And it's, it's great to hear that. Like it's, it's, it's a good feeling, but you can't expect that in your off season when you're a bit chunky and you're holding a bit of body fat, you're not going to get the same. And I remember reading this post on Instagram, like just because you got all this attraction in your prep, like doesn't mean you're going to get it in your off season, the off season, don't expect claps for getting everything right. Cause no one's going to be there clapping for you in your off season. It's only when you're looking good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That really, resonated, that really resonated me. And I was going for my show and being where I am now. Like I've, I've seen that difference. And now that I'm cutting again, I see that difference again. But I think it's great to showcase the transformation. So as much as if someone wants to follow me and think, oh, she's not really goals, there'll be someone else that'll be like, wow, she went from this to this in 12 weeks or she's done this in four years. And also for my clients, it's really motivating for them to see my journey because they know I'm on the same path as they are they know I understand and have the same struggles that they do. And that in turn helps the business again. So it kind of works hand in hand. Yeah, like it is, the, the reason I ask is because obviously a lot of personal trainers, a lot of people who have like um, like fitness pages and things, obviously their, their income, if they are a personal trainer and they have like a, a fitness page, is their income is very much tied to how they look in physical appearance. And it's not always like the, the it's not always rational because a lot of, people that I know um, who are maybe on the larger side of life uh, to put it in a polite term are some of the most knowledgeable people on fitness that I know they just don't implement it in their life perhaps uh, to to the extent that somebody else does but then there's the the people who obviously are really lean 
uh, obviously get a lot more traction. But the thing that never makes sense is that people expect them to be in their in their summer body all year round, and it's it's just not how how fitness works, dude. I mean, like you said, you go through yeah. a constant cycle of bulking and cutting and bulking and cutting. Yeah, it's it's you know it's it's quite hard because you know <laughs> I've seen posts and it's like you know you, you'll see that so when someone competes they'll recycle all their lean photos during their bulk. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And like, I try not to do that. I try to keep it real, but a little throwback here and there, it does really help when you're struggling with the extra body fat. But I think like, when you're at a point that your business is doing very well, that it can speak for itself, then the aesthetic purposes slowly can disappear. Mm-hmm. But with the transformations that I've achieved, my body by a page, my clientele and everything, I think that it can get to a point where it may not, you've made such an impact in the industry and you're so well known that eventually it won't matter how you look because all the results in the business and the brand can speak for itself massively. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that in other really, really big bodybuilding coaches. Um, so I think if you can get to that point, then that shows in a sense that you can't kind of like made it in a sense, you know what I mean? But I definitely think I'm still in a place where aesthetics plays a massive role. But at the same time, the more I develop, the more I want my clients to understand and learn. And they understand that, you know, you can't just be lean all year round. It's not healthy. And for me, when I competed, I kept telling everyone, listen, I'm just going to compete. I'm going to look amazing. And then I'm just going to maintain. That's it. I just want to compete once. Yeah. But after I stepped off that stage, I just, I said, I'm not done. Yeah. yeah you catch the bug. Yeah. I was like, I need to do better. I need to do better. And then it was great because I, then I had to go through a reverse diet. I had to get food up. I had to show people it's okay to gain and you can lose it. So I think it also depends how transparent you are on your Instagram. You know, you get people who don't really go on stories, people who don't, they just have really nice photos and they can get massive followers from that, which fair enough. But I think the more transparent you are and you show people all aspects, people are nosy. People love to know stuff. You know what I mean? Without realizing it, a lot of people can be very nosy and they love to know what's the ins and outs of someone's life. Um, And I think- Especially South Asians. Yes, exactly. Right? <laughs> the more you give them, the more they're going to take and they're going to keep coming. So I think it's a great way to be transparent with people because they want to know more and more and more. Mm-hmm. They're always intrigued. And if you know that about your followers, you've got to really grasp that and make the most out of it. And I don't mind showing my life to everyone. I'm, I'm going to start vlogging more as well to show people prep days, you know, what I eat in a day and things like that, because I think the more they see, the more they can understand. And then again, it's that transparency that I want to bring to my page. I feel like transparency is more sustainable as well. Do you know I mean like if you're um if you if you are creating these photos and a very specific image and things like long term, someone's gonna see you out in the street and be like, you don't look like your Instagram page or or whatever it may be. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like uh, it's that old saying. I know it's very babyfied and all that stuff, but honesty is the best policy. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're transparent, you got nothing to hide. You'll probably uh, be able to st- sustain it for a lot longer and um again it's credibility as well like when you speak to somebody in person and they they mirror what they are what they're like online uh, like this conversation has been um for me is has been really refreshing do you know what I mean because sometimes you do see the the other side of it where people just don't really match their their online personas that they've created yeah. so um and some people can pull it off credit to them uh and, and some people are probably better off just just being honest and 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 going that path um I don't know how that sort of turned into a mini tangent there but <laughs> never mind <laughs> never mind um 
but yeah, I, I've really enjoyed this uh, this podcast. I've learned like uh, quite a bit. Um, as I say, I came into some things. I googled some things the night before just to to understand a bit of of things, but uh, and have some sort of ground to to stand on in the conversation. But uh, I feel like um, I've learned like a, a lot, and I, I I do thank you for not just this podcast, but also talking about these topics because as I say like the whole aim for me of this podcast is a, a lot of South Asians and, and other cultures just don't generally talk about taboo topics that realistically shouldn't be taboo do you know what I mean that most of the things are quite quite natural and and, and just part of of, uh, of life do you know what I mean um, but the the way that I like to end each podcast is with the same five questions so I ask these to every single guest and uh, <laughs> they're sort of in quick fire fashion but they are also quite deep so uh, just try to get that balance i guess okay right we'll start with number one is what are you most proud of competing and my business competing and the business um number two is what are you most looking forward to my next show competing and the business no, I'm um, as you can see covid just made me so like constantly working yeah it's like you never switch off but yeah <laughs> so when you never switch off what is your biggest motivation my future I think the biggest motivation for me is to make sure when I have a family I can provide for my kids and give them the life that I had growing up sick yeah. sick you can see there for a second you're thinking and then boom light bulb <laughs> yeah, that's always what I thought about well, number four is what is your definition of success doing what I love doing what um, I love Last but not least, because it is the Culture Cast podcast, how has your culture affected you in your journey thus far? Hasn't been easy. Um, you need to have thick skin, and I'm I'm grateful that I've been able to build that. Um, to compete as an Indian bodybuilder um, comes with a lot of backlash, comes with a lot of judgments. Um, and you need to have thick skin to power through that. No one, not everyone's going to understand it. You won't be able to just discuss it freely, you know, to be on, on stage in a bikini. And I think there's definitely not enough Asian women in bodybuilding. And I think it's something I would love to build up and have some clients actually compete. Um, but it isn't for the weak-minded, if that makes sense. You have mm -hmm. to make sure you are ready for some challenges to face with family with friends um and just the community 100 percent. yeah it's almost like it's a double or triple obstacle do you know what I mean like the first obstacle would be just competing in general for the average person the second obstacle being from an indian background because there's many indians in general and then the third being a woman from an indian background is like another obstacle on top of that like and and that's why i say credit credit to you because you don't see um many uh, many south asians in general compete uh, and and to be like a woman doing it on top of that is is like an extra added obstacle so yeah credit to you thank you is there anything that you want to um say or plug or anything before we finish no this is my first ever podcast and it was super refreshing that was really fun thank you for having me hopefully i did a good enough job but all of your links and things whether you're listening on apple spotify or watching on youtube will be in the links in the description uh and you can um follow Akum on instagram and follow her youtube because she's going to be vlogging soon and all the links will be down there but um yeah that, that's a that's another episode <laughs>